There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, this is Alan Watts and we're cutting through the matrix on April the 7th, 2010. For the newcomers, I suggest you go into cuttingthroughthematrix.com website. You'll see hundreds of audios they can download in the audio section of the talks I've given over the years for free. And bookmark as well all the other sites I have up there, the alternate sites, because sometimes the comm site goes down or too many folk go into it at the same time. It kind of sticks up a bit. So if you get these alternate sites bookmarked, you can always use them once in a while and, and get a straight download quite easy if you find it sticking somewhere. And if the com goes down, you can always use them again to get the latest shows for download. Remember, too, included in those sites is the Alan Watts Sentinel site, the European site, that's got all the same audios for download, but it's got the addition of transcripts, uh, which you can download for prints up and choose from the various languages of Europe and pass around to your friends. And I always start off with the tin can moments and get that over with because I don't push myself all through the show. But it's up to you to keep me going. The ads you hear on this show pay uh, for the, the broadcast time on the show and the broadcast itself. The staff pays for the the um, equipment and their bills. So it's up to you to keep me going. I've got nothing to do with advertisers at all. Uh, so you must help by buying the things I have for sale, the books I have for sale, the discs I have for sale, that you'll see at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And you can also, from the U.S., remember, you can uh, use personal checks to Canada. You can also use an international postal money order from your post office. I just stress international. And you can use MoneyGram, Western Union, Cash, or PayPal. Even though it says donate to send the donation appropriate amounts to me and a separate email with the order, and I'll get it out to you. Same across the rest of the world. Uh, MoneyGram, Western Union, Cash, or PayPal. It's up to you how you want to do it. And for those who get the disc burned to the talks and to play on their CD players, you can get in touch with me at Alan Watt, Site 41, Box 4, Estere, which is E-S-T-A-I-R-E, Ontario, Canada. And the postal code is P as in Peter, the number 3, E as in Elizabeth, the number 4, N as in Nora, and the number one. And that's that's out of the way right now. I've talked before about predictive programming and how really the media and entertainment give us possibilities. The media gives you very diluted reasons for what you're expected to see in the near future, what's coming up, what they think is happening now. And the, the, the media does the more intense predictive programming by disarming you. When you watch fiction, you don't think of being on your guard. You enjoy uh, the action. You enjoy the heroes. You identify with them. That's the whole point of the man and the woman. 
uh, according to your gender, you you identify with one or or the other. And they always give you a human interest, uh, hooking it in the chase, and you follow the story through. And you get downloaded with all kinds of ideas uh, on the way. And in fact, opinions and scenarios that you haven't even come up to yet will be formed for you by the movie. Uh, And that's how predictive programming works. And they're, they're always way ahead of what the media will ever tell you as to what's coming up in the future, because we must prepare our minds subconsciously for all the big changes. For, oh, 15 years, maybe back in the 80s even, they were given us various martial law scenarios, more and more guys with flat jackets on, black outfits. Um, the movie Siege is well worth seeing from the 90s, late 90s. It shows you even the talks they had about bringing in martial law the Posse Comitatus Act and all that kind of stuff was all discussed in the movie to get you ready for 2001 back after these messages. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt and we're cutting through the matrix. Mentioning how predictive programming works and how you're always through entertainment, through those movies which you really like, that grab you and carry you off and carry you along uh, you're being programmed for things to come I, I've read articles or, or pieces from a very good book, it was America's Cultural Cold War how the CIA gave America its culture during the Cold War era, that was music, art and drama, everything they ran it not just for the US but for Canada and the department set up in France, Germany, and elsewhere. And uh, they were hiring all kinds of script writers for the movies and uh, radio sh- uh, talk show hosts, um, everything you can imagine to do with the arts and entertainment. But they also hired hundreds of novelists, hundreds of novelists and poets too even, to put out and give them high acclaim and get them up into the the, the sort of professional classes going around universities, um, building images, creating the images of third-rate people, basically novelists, and making them stars. It's easy to make anyone a star. And uh, they became household names. All As long as they put into their writings, into their fiction and so on, uh, little ideas to program the general public. And it hasn't changed today. Uh, the, the information in that book was all declassified going up, to, I think going all the way back to the, to the late 70s and to the 80s. But of course, they've continued it and that stuff is still classified as to what they're doing today. But we know what they're doing today. We can see it for ourselves. But I mentioned the movie Siege uh, with Bruce Willis. I think it was 97 or 98 that came out. And you'll see the officers sitting around a big table discussing, oh, can the, is the FBI up to dealing with all this sudden terrorism? It's all from Arabian countries and Muslim countries. And before 2011 happened, as I say, and how they discussed the rights and wrongs of could they go ahead and put troops on the streets of America. And they went through the different points of law. They brought up Abraham Lincoln and how he did it, and that a Supreme Court later ruled that what he did was actually illegal, but they can do anything after the event. It doesn't matter as long as they get what they want at the time. And there's another good movie too. It was called Eagle Eye, 
a recent one, fairly recent one. And uh, the, tw- the twist in the movie, which copies bits from The Matrix to do with the voice on the phone telling you where to go, you don't know who it is, uh, and stuff like that. And, of course, the chases go through it. Uh, the FBI's in there, NSA's in there. And it turns out that a computer, a supercomputer, uh, the NSA is running everything across the U.S. Bits of um, enemy of the state were in there where the computer could literally interface any article object that was electronic and make it work for itself, make it put it to work. And the twist of the tale is uh, that uh, the computer being programmed with the laws of the United States and the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and so on. And the computer decided that the present government, and especially the executive branch, was literally there illegally, had broken every law. And the computer decided that, therefore, uh, we, the people, and it was talking about the computer itself, um, had the right to, to literally remove that government, uh, as was said in the Constitution itself. So the computer ends up being a sort of good bad guy, and, uh, and of course, it gets destroyed at the end because no one can have any other system now that that old-fashioned uh, set of rules is bypassed and ignored. It's interesting, you see, they keep going on at the United Nations and all these big organizations, these world organizations, about the rule of law, the rule of law. And meanwhile, they dismiss those laws when they, they wish to. They don't follow them at all. Uh, I've read the articles from the, the Foreign Affairs magazine, the official exoteric uh, magazine for the Council on Foreign Relations, which they publish every month. I don't buy it now. It's too expensive, uh, rid- ridiculously so. But uh, they always tell you what's coming up in the world because they work on planning it, you see, and making it happen. And they talked about, years ago, they talked about creating an end run around the Constitution of the United States uh, to get their new system in. Well, the new system, as I've discussed these last few nights, is post-democratic. It's not democratic at all. In fact, we have no say in the big decisions and the, the way that world's, the world's been taken or the nation's. And that's, I read from the official, some of the official reports put out by the big international meetings stating that very fact. We have no say whatsoever. We're post-democratic. We're run now by those who have the right to rule, intelligentsia, academia, and also with the science front that it uses. And I mentioned, too, that you mustn't ever forget that all sciences are completely politicized. They always have been politicized. They live on grants. And their choice is to get a pittance for digging into the wilderness or the darkness of, of exploration or take a grant and do what they're told and go off in the direction they're told to go off and parrot what they're told to parrot because they are definitely political. And Nietzsche and other ones said this and those who formed enlightenment and later on uh, brought us the, the, the age of reason. Uh, what they meant by that was displacing any idea of a supernatural deity and it would have to be replaced by the men of reason, meaning science. And therefore, they brought in Darwin, they brought in uh, Freud and all these guys to make us think we're just animals, but they're special people who can tell us just how much of an animal we are uh, because they're, they're more evolved as an animal than we are. And that's what science is doing today. Uh, everything is, is to do with expert advice. Right or wrong, it's expert advice. We jump to it. And the new system of government, as I've said before, which really has been here for quite some time, is uh, an amalgamation 
of government uh, actors, the politicians themselves, with their advisors who know where we're going, uh, with non-governmental organizations on board with them, paid for by the parallel government, the real government, the big foundation network, uh, run by the bankers and owned by them, and a new feudal system to comprising of uh, the CEOs of international corporations. And you'll find these big international corporations are all linked together. They're not separate entities at all. In fact, they never were. The big gang is in league with each other. There's no differences amongst them. There's no real competition amongst them. They all work in harmony together to give the illusion of competition to the people at the bottom. And that's the new government. Uh, you'll find that Lord Bertrand Russell said that in his book, uh, The Scientific Outlook. Uh, he said that um, we're creating a world where the public are being trained to believe and obey the experts. And eventually he said that a woman wouldn't be able to change the diaper on her child without the advice of an expert. And I've actually lived to see that. So that's the the front. So these experts or scientists are well-paid, well-funded. They know which way the wind blows as far as their paychecks go and grants can't go. And they won't buck the system. They're quite happy living like that. It's either that or getting a real job at the bottom. But meanwhile, they can get into theorizing about things as long as those theories fit the mandates of, of those who rule the government. And that's the real system under which you live. That's called governance. And I read an article yesterday an official, uh, from an official book put out by the big boys themselves on this very post-democratic system where we're now into governance, ruled by experts uh, and scientists which who really just front for the, those who rule the economics. And we're all to pay, pay, pay in a world of interdependence. But a beautiful system, interdependence, which means you're totally dependent for everything you need to survive on this system. All the other choices have been taken away from you. You know, in the U.S. especially, before they brought in the Income Tax Act and the, the Property Tax Acts, people could go off into the bush and put a hut up, an old shack somewhere, and stay away from everybody, do barter to survive, grow their own vegetables, do a bit of hunting. Well, they had to go out and get a job, at least get money somehow, to pay their taxes for their property once that came in. That's how they closed the loopholes, making it impossible for you to exist in any other way. And these, this kind of thing was discussed again at the world think tanks of their day, at the League of Nations. And now we're really into interdependence. Shortly you won't be able to burn wood in a wood stove to heat yourself in the winter. That will definitely come. I've said that for years. And one day a man will come to your door, or a few of them, and they will tell you you can't burn that wood anymore because it's given off carbon. And what they're really doing is denying you to live through the winter. Of course, they won't do it that way. They'll say, well, sir, there's an option to that. You can use, you can use government mandated oil with the carbon energy tax, uh, taxes put on top of it, which will li- literally you'd have to have 10 jobs to pay. And you'll say, well, I can't afford that. Well, you could always get gas, propane or something. And he said, well, I can't afford that either. That's why I burn wood. Well, he said, well, that's not our problem, sir. 
And then you go into your argument, so you're condemning me to death, to freeze to death this winter. Oh, no, sir, there are alternatives. You can get oil from, mandated oil from the, and then you go, so you go round in these circles, you see. You're talking to a lobster with those lobster eyes, you know. And that's how they do things. They won't say they're condemning you to death. They just tell you, well, it's not their problem, and here's the alternatives, which you can't afford anyway. Same thing with gasoline. In the rural areas, that they go skyrocketing high, much higher than anywhere else, and they're bringing in uh, massive taxes or what they're calling gas guzzlers. That's anything bigger than one of these eco cars that you see that you can lift up with one hand and, and blows over in the wind. You'll see in the towns. The things that fall apart if it tries to go over a pothole outside the town. And you, they're going to do away with the, the four-wheel drives, which are essential in rural areas because of the conditions you have to drive through in snow and all the rest of it. Back after these messages. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt and we're cutting through the matrix just talking about the new system we're all under already and how the internet of things where all objects, as I say, will be interconnected the ability is all there already they've been putting chips into pretty well everything that you purchase that supposedly can all interface with each other and eventually to central computers that are all over the place and uh, keep track of you uh, see where you go, and uh, then it'll interface, of course, with those people you stop and talk to and what, whatever they're wearing, it'll all lace through their clothing too, and so on and so on and so on. Uh, this is to be the nice, wonderful world of total surveillance. But remember, I mentioned last night that they'd done experiments. They always do experiments on isolated areas, places where they can isolate uh, and use the population for cashless societies like Aurelia, Canada, that was a, Ontario was the first one to be used. Uh, and that's to be used for the rest of the world. They ironed out their problems on that four- or five-year-long experiment. And they use an island off Denmark to do with electric cars. Uh, this is how they do it, iron out all the problems with the local people when they can't get the performance uh, out of their vehicles and that kind of stuff, and as they start jacking up the prices to see how they react and so on. That's how they do things before they introduce them worldwide. And then that, that article from about Finland where they'd actually tried um, to transfer taxes from the old system where you're taxed for labor uh, because in the new system, you see, most of us will be kind of semi-unemployed and uh, or perhaps permanently unemployed, but you're still going to get taxed. So the idea is to transfer taxes over to all energy consumption. That goes for whatever, anything that you purchase and how much energy it took to create or that particular object, grow that carrot, whatever it happened to be, and you're going to be taxed for all these things. Plus your heat, electricity is going to skyrocket, etc., etc., etc. And I've told you before, they're not just dabbling here and experimenting as they go along. That was that started in the early 90s in Finland as a project for the rest of the world, the transference of taxes from labor to goods and energy. So they know exactly where they're going. In the 80s, late 80s, Maurice Strong was brought over to Ontario Hydro, as it's called. It's an electric company for the whole Ontario. The taxpayers built it up. 
They built the nuclear reactors and all the rest of it, the grid system. And Maurice Strong was sent over to be made CEO temporarily for a couple of years to privatize the entire system, which he did. And he said in the newspapers at the time that shortly in the future, he says, you'll, your energy increases will be astronomical and they will not maintain the rural supplies eventually, and in, including suburban uh, supplies. And people will be squeezed more and more into the inner cities. That's, that's what your new habitats, folks. Something like Hong Kong. And uh, he also said they were already back then putting in contingency plans for the big important towers, office towers. They'd have massive diesel generators put in uh, with taxpayer funding, of course. Same with any surviving uh, essential manufacturing, which would probably be for the military. And lo and behold, they actually had it in and installed before 1990. We paid for all of that for what's coming up now and in the very near future. We're just living through a script. The media's job is to give you the the fallout of the script when things actually happen. Oh, look at this. My, my, who would have thought? That's how the media keeps you going. To make you think they're just stumbling along in the dark somehow. Believe you me, when you look at the incredible, the incredible, well-organized think tanks and the funding they have with their computerization, their interconnections and so on, using military strategy on every project. If we do this, what will be the repercussions? And they work at all the repercussions, the repercussions even being socio-economic groups, ethnic groups even, uh, repercussions between different character types within society and how to overcome them all before they, they even introduce the thing itself. And they work out ways to overcome all of this. Military strategy. And it's been like that your whole lives long. Obviously they knew back in the, uh, the end of World War II that this kind of system was to be brought in. They had the confidence. Why would they have the confidence? Because science is very, very secretive within the military industrial complex and those who rule it at the top. And they already had the transistors and things like that at the end of World War II. The public never heard of them until the 60s. And what else they had? They had the microwave, communications, all that kind of stuff. And much, much, much more. Knowledge is power and science definitely is power. So we're living through a script and, and, and the confidence comes from the fact that they already have a lot of facts. They don't make a wish list and say, I hope we can invent this down the road just in time to bring in this. That doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. It would be so silly, wouldn't it? And nothing ever goes wrong with their plans. Everything that happens where it's a, it's a tower is going down to bring in the century of change and martial law across the world to ram everything through with total surveillance, which is all part of the new society of interdependence, to, to everything else that happens, um, was talked about many, many years in advance. You're taking even Aldo Huxley's Brave New World to do with genetic engineering and the creation of special humans, different classes for special tasks, in 1933. You think I just had a good imagination? I'll be back with more after this break.
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. This is Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix. Just mentioning how the big boys are so lucky, those who plan the world and meet at international meetings with thousands of different specialized departments. Just look at the Council on Foreign Relations website alone, and there's nothing to do with society that they're not working on. And remember, too, they're just one branch of the Royal Institute for International Affairs, that goes back to Cecil Rhodes and Lord, Lord Rothschilds, that's who started it up, and, and merged with the Milner Group, Lord Alfred Milner, who also brought in all the other international bankers on board. And as I say, you have the Royal Institute of International Affairs today, and its American branch, the Council on Foreign Relations, that basically are the parallel governments. And they have incredible funding. And they also work with the big foundations, because they're all part of the same system, to be honest with you specialized branches of the same system. And if they were truly stumbling in the dark, once in a while, by the law of averages, uh, they would make mistakes. Things would work out against them and for the public's benefit. Well, in my lifetime, it's never happened. And I believe in my father's lifetime, too, it never happened. Everything that happens seems to just fall right in line with what they want. They're the most luckiest guys in the world. If they chose a, a lotto ticket, they'd definitely win it because they probably own the, the company that runs it. But that's how it, things really do work. And they're bringing us into really a, 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 what they say themselves is a system that's never been created before. It's, and I've said it for years, it's a form of fascism at the top, sort of feudalistic fascism with a massive bureaucratic class, massive bureaucracies, uh, running the world on a socialist, communistic basis below them because they found the collectivist, authoritarian system of the collectivist societies was far more efficient at controlling the general public, who are simply the ones that money comes from, basically, money and labor. And they have no qualms in discussing amongst themselves this very thing, that that's what the, the people are there for. They talk about functions and the laws of nature. They're talking about different categories of nature and different categories of humanity. They all love Plato with the guardians, the guardian class. They believe they are. They believe actually they own the world and they're the guardians of it. And we're all the little its, as Plato called the public. They're supposed to support it and do as we're told to keep them in the kind of style that, that a natural elite should be kept in. Nothing changes down through history, just more technology comes along and techniques to make it more uh, totalitarian and safe for those who rule. Last year I talked about the flu shots and I read the various medical journals where uh, and dug up the parts where they said themselves that people who got the regular flu shots were, were wide open to get um, a really bad infection of the so-called swine flu, if it even existed. But uh, they went ahead anyway. They even found that the reaction, if they got it later on, got the swine flu after what they called the regular flu shot, it could be actually be lethal in some cases. But they went ahead anyway. So after it's all done, of course, here's an article here 
uh, from U.S. News and World Report. It says, April the 6th, 2010, did regular flu shots up the risks for the H1N1 swine flu? Uh, the traditional seasonal flu vaccine may have increased the risk of infection with pandemic H1N1 swine flu, according to the results of four new studies by Canadian researchers. Now, they already did the studies in Canada before they gave them the shots, but the government decided to go ahead anyway. In one study, the researchers used an ongoing sentinel monitoring system to assess the frequency of prior vaccination with the seasonal flu vaccine in people diagnosed with H1N1 swine flu in 2009 compared to people without swine flu. They found uh, that seasonal flu vaccination was associated with a 68% increased risk of getting the swine flu. So the regular one uh could actually make you more susceptible to the swine flu. This is what they're, they're saying now. But they knew that before they gave the people the shots. So what are they going to do this year? It's going to be better this year because you're going to put the swine flu in with the regular shots in the same injection. We'll see how that works out, how many folk come down with uh, various illnesses, sudden death syndromes. Uh, but they said already it doesn't matter as long as it's maybe 25 minutes after getting the shot, as long as they're outside the clinic that they got it. That could happen at any time, they said. Anyone can drop dead at any time. People did drop dead, and that's how they do it now in the new uh, post-democratic system. And there's another thing going on here, too. This is, um, this is to do with... Uh, the money to do with the pharma, the incredible reaping of the harvest of your cash, the big pharma got, again, uh, by the middlemen that suppose you think are serving you, but really are serving the fascists at the top. And this is from the Mail Online, how £300 million, that's British money, was squandered on swine flu jabs that we didn't need, the 7th of April 2010. Up to three hundred million pounds of taxpayers' money has been wasted in swine flu jabs that were never needed. Ministers ordered ninety million doses of a vaccine last year at a cost of five hundred and forty million pounds as panic over the illness gripped the country thanks to the media. I added the last part. But as the pandemic failed to materialize, it soon became clear that the order was far too large. The Department of Health tried to get out of the enormous contract, but the drug firm GlaxoSmithKline refused to back down. Yesterday, the government announced it had signed a compromise deal that caps the number of shots of pandemics at 34.8 million, but astonishingly, astonishingly, at twice the price they first agreed to. <laughs> Don't worry, folks, you're paying for all. It means the government, the government, well, the government pays for nothing. It's your money. Government doesn't make anything. It just consumes. It's a black hole. It means the government will pay for two-thirds of the original deal, but only receive just over a third of the doses. <laughs> Isn't the business wonderful? Haggling. You know, the haggle at the top there. Ah, oh, wonderful. The deal was yesterday criticized by the conservatives and pressure groups who said it proved the government had mismanaged the seven-month outbreak. Well, and, and then they go on with more rubbish. As I say, the media is, is just there to keep you spinning around, isn't it? They don't go into the big global meetings. They don't come out and say, uh, by any reporter, and say, by the way, I've read that the CFR's latest report on this and that and the other. Or, uh, no, no, they don't go through any of that stuff for you. They just go, ooh, and ah, when, when the, the, the fallout of the laws that are enacted hit the public. Who would have thunk, eh? Who would have thunk? Quite something. Now, I read the other day, too, uh, from the Council on Foreign Relations, 
how they had to make the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, for the World Bank, the, big, the really big cheese in control of all the world's money, which it was really set up to do um, and, and talked about by uh, Maynard Keynes. That other, he was a communist at the time, uh, in a sense, but he believed in the fascists at the top as well. He belonged to the upper elite. But and he had a contempt for the working people, by the way. But uh, he wanted the IMF to be set up to be a form of the distributor of the world's cash to different regions. He knew back then that it would all be cut up into regions, and I read about that the other night, how they're changing the maps and so on. Uh, the public, by the way, again, in this new governance idea, are never asked their, their opinion on anything. And this article here is from British Columbia. This is what the IMF does when it's taken over. And by the way, it's taken over every country. The U.S., Canada, Greece, Finland, all these countries are under the IMF now because the first thing they do is slash all what they call government services. That's all the services that you are mandatorily be, uh, being taxed for. Healthcare is the number one. They do it everywhere. And this is to the Globe and Mail, British Columbia, it says, B.C. health authorities are asked to slash $45 million from the budget, uh, the B.C. health minister, uh, Kevin Falcon, says. So they've been asked to find ways to trim 10% from a public health budget of about $450 million to direct more money to core health services, British Columbia health minister Kevin Falcon says. Public health spending covers restaurant inspections, disease prevention and control, and a broad range of other programs. What they're telling you there is they're going to cut everything except inoculations. The cost review does not threaten programs such as those aimed at preventing childhood diseases. Mr. Falk, that's, that's inoculations, folks. To suggest that important childhood vaccination programs would be impacted is nonsense, Mr. Falcon said Monday in an email response to an inquiry from the Globe and Mail. So anything else to do with whatever you need, you won't get focus is slash and burn, but they'll make sure we're dumbed down with the injections. Because after all, they have a Department of Population Control at the United Nations as well, right, right opposite the corridor from the World Health Organization, since they all work together. And uh, they want the population to drop drastically, and they've been doing it your whole life long. And we know what the fallout is. There's cancers all over the place. There's more cancers now, and there's a tiny fraction of people smoking than ever before. And there's more cases of cancers of the lung now on people who have never, ever smoked. It's becoming common. It's a new normal, in fact. New normal. A lot of uh, these big farmers now are using China for inoculations for creating the vaccines. And Breitbart's got an article here. I'll put these links up, remember, at cuttingthroughthematrix.com at the end of the show. And China faces new health scare over bad vaccines, April the 7th. Four years ago, and then it tells you about a healthy boy. Now he's epileptic and has trouble keeping up at school. Problems emerged after a vaccination against a Japanese encephalitis. Apparently dozens of youngsters in the northern Chinese province of Shangxi whose parents believe their children may have suffered serious side effects from vaccines in the country's latest public health scare. It's actually a scandal. And uh, then they tell all the, the treatments to try for their children to make them better, but nothing's working. And then they go into the fact that uh, the China Economic Times report blamed vaccines that had been exposed to excessive heat and should have been destroyed. Well, you should see the conditions they're actually made in. We have an idea of science as, as some kind of really ultra 
hygienic process, you know, and, and really what they do is, is they, they, they grow viruses on, on tissue. Now, now they're using human tissue as well as animal tissue. And it basically goes through a kind of blending machine. And then they take out all the red stuff, you know, the stuff that can basically go, yuck. And, uh, you're left with this kind of clearish or serum looking, uh, vaccine, which they inject into you. And that's really how it's done. This great scientific uh, breakthrough. So, uh, for those who want vaccines, good luck to you. But personally, I've seen the, the side effects of them myself personally. And I want nothing to do with them, especially when it ties in with uh, the massive autism skyrocketing uh, along the graph, uh, parallel with the rise in inoculations that the youngsters are getting. And it definitely is correlated. There's no doubt about that whatsoever. Whatsoever. So we're into the new governance system. Now, the new governance system, too, it's where you're tax, 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 tax. Right now you're getting tax on goods that you can still buy. They're maybe surplus. They're, they're non-essential. You see, they tried all this out in Europe uh, for years, since the 70s. They called it value-added tax. Value-added tax works this way. If you want to make, say, a kitchen fork, uh, you get you first, um, the guys would take the ore, gather the ore and so on, bring it to a, a factory plant, a foundry. Uh, they have to pay as they transfer it to the foundry uh, a value-added tax. Uh, then when the foundry takes the ore and they, they smelt it and extract what they need, the metal, into little bars and all the rest of it, they also, uh, when they sell it, pass it on, they also pay a, a value-added tax to the government. So, uh, so every stage of manufacture, then it goes from there to the guys that actually make the actual fork itself or the knife, the kitchen knife, and they pay the value-added tax in that when they transfer it. Then it goes to the middleman who pays the value-added tax in the store, and then it's passed on to you. The government gets taxation at every single level. And in Britain and elsewhere in Europe, they said this is all going to pay off national debts, like all the other lies it told the public, and not one penny ever went to do so. And now they want to bring it into the U.S. as well. Well, you've got to do that under a world government. You see, you can't have a country going its own way. Everything has to be standardized. And you've got to bring in a value-added tax. Now, in Canada, Brian Mulroney, when he was in, he tried to bring it in here. And because they knew they were going to amalgamate us all with the, 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 under the world governments be back when he was in. And uh, he, the public said, no, there's a bit of a furor about it. Not that we're asked to vote on it, but he said a bit of a furor. And uh, he eventually said, okay, we well, won't do that. And about a month later, he brought in the general sales tax. You see, and that's what politicians do. They just change the names of things, and people don't quite relate it to what they thought it was, and so on. The perception is altered. But under this whole guise, as they start to tax extras, and you, you purchase less and less because you must become austere. You see, it's an age of austerity, where you'll pay and through the nose about fifty times you're paying now uh, for the food, for instance, for basic things, and that's how you're going to live shortly as we're trained, trained, trained into the new system. This article is from the Mail Online, and it says, Family holidays are now a luxury. The government's recommending that day trips are all that you need, the officials decide. So here's officials, you know, this is your expert class, deciding how you should have holidays. And it's from the 6th of April. 
Annual holidays have become a luxury, annual holidays a year, and are no longer a staple of family life, according to government research. A getaway of a week or more is no longer considered essential by many families, and is often beyond their reach, said the analysis of what parents and children say they really need. Did you know that you were all asked what you really want? According to government. Fashionable clothes for the children, expensive birthday parties and lots of toys are also on the list of luxuries that families don't have to have. This is from the government, remember. Instead, recession-hit parents are thinking of the future and the things they want for their children centered around learning to behave properly, good education and good health. Well, they've got none of that, and they never will have any of that. Their picture of what a family ought to have includes a space to eat together away from the television, plenty of fruit and vegetables, and bicycles so children can get exercise, because we're going into a bike society as we're all driven off the roads through the power of the purse and government laws. The breakdown of necessities and luxuries was prepared by researchers from the Department for Work and Pensions, we're trying to establish an up-to-date picture of what parents say they really need. Now, I guarantee not one parent was ever asked about what they want. This is a PR piece put out to the papers by the government itself. So they said the claim they're finding show how families have scaled down their expectations in the face of economic difficulties and how parents are now concentrating their attention and money firmly on the long-term interests of their children. The assumption that every family needs at least a week away on holiday each year has long been part of Whitehall orthodoxy. So much so that those who can't afford one are counted amongst those who are ranked officially as the poor. But according to the researchers who questioned, they questioned families in Birmingham, Reading and Sheffield, Daniel holiday is no longer a staple of family life. We don't need it anymore. One day a year is enough. That's the new austerity, folks, from your masters. Back with more after this break. This is Alan Watts, and we're cutting through the matrix. You know, you know when the big boys give the go-ahead for something to be a must-be. A must-be is where they've all agreed that all competition is going to be outlawed, basically, and some company rushes ahead and does all does all dastardly things. Anyone who tries to sue them for robbing and stealing and putting farmers off their land, like Monsanto does, is immediately put in prison, and not one judge will ever go against Monsanto. It's a must-be, you see, for the whole world. Because, you see, Monsanto's stuff is uh, heavily dosed in the worst pesticides. The stuff, the seed, their their plants literally, uh, they're created to survive, supposedly, these massive pesticides. And, of course, the plants soak the pesticides up, and then you eat it, and then you come down with cancers and stuff. But that falls in right in with the, the plan, doesn't it? It keeps us down, and we die off. And as we, as we consume and spend money for it, we die off, you know. So they profit at the top, and they get what they want. But uh, there's an article from last year. It's, it's well worth reading again, and it's about Monsanto. Now, recently there was a, a big hullabaloo because uh, uh, the, their great seeds uh, in India were failing miserably their plants because they weren't up to the, resist, the, the kind of bugs that they have over there. 
And the problem too, when, when they eradicate all natural uh, uh, corn or, or maize or whatever they're using in a particular area, they'll have many, many varieties in one field because that's how the stuff grows traditionally. You can have about 50 varieties of something growing in one field. Uh, so they do away with that in Monsanto and put this uniform stuff in. So if you have a bad season or a drought or something, everything goes. Everything goes. They know this too. And they will create uh, famines as part of the, the, the definite plan and uh, planned agenda. But this article says, um, um, uh, article image, Monsanto GM corn harvest fails massively in South Africa. That was the 29th of March, 2009. And it says that... Um, South African farmers suffered millions of dollars in lost income when 82,000 hectares of genetically manipulated corn, which is maize, failed to produce hardly any seeds. The plants looked lush and healthy from the outside. Monsanto has offered compensation. To keep quiet. Monsanto blames the failure of the three varieties of corn planted on these farms in three South African provinces on alleged under-fertilization processes in the laboratory. Some 280 of the, of the 1,000 farmers who planted the three varieties of Monsanto corn this year have reported extensive seedless corn problems. However, environmental activist Marion Mayet, director of the Africa Center for Biosecurity in Johannesburg, demands an urgent government investigation and an immediate ban on all GM foods, blaming the crop's failure on Monsanto's genetically manipulated technology. In other words, it's impossible for three varieties, supposedly, that are passed, all you have the same problem uh, that, that, that happens, supposedly, in the laboratory seedbed. So that, that was them wiped out, and other countries have been wiped out with it too. But you know something, it won't stop, because it's a must-be. All the really good stuff is being swallowed up and taken off, uh, off the shore of Norway to a little island there. As we all know, the, the seed vault, one of the many um, arcs, they call them, across the world in case all hell breaks loose and everything goes down the tubes. They can always feed those who deserve to live. That's the survival of the fittest, the ones who are already at the top of the food chain. They own the food chain, and they think they own us too. That's the real world, folks. You're living through a script. There never was democracy. It was a good con while it lasted. But now we're ready to get told we're post-democratic. Just be good and obey the experts. From Hamish and myself, from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God, or your gods go with you.